0: Hey, what's up? It's Avery here. Well, I guess who else would it be? It is my own show. (laughs) You see, my show is on platforms like iTunes and Spotify. And you may wonder, how do I get my show on these platforms? Well, I do it through an app called Anchor. It's free to download and you can use it on your phone or on your laptop. And it also comes with creation tools that let you edit your show. You can also make that sweet moolah with your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, want to get started? Download the Anchor app on the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store. Or go to anchor.fm. It's that easy. Ladies and gentlemen, what is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome back to Avery Sports Show. And on episode this week, I want to welcome on to someone who I followed for a while in terms of Montreal sports. He is such a hard worker. He's a broadcaster for CTV Montreal, McGill Athletics. He writes for a Rotor Hockey World, Eyes on the Prize, for SB Nation, Under the Influence of Music. And he co hosts the Scrum podcast with Tristan Moore, which analyzes the sports media landscape on SoundCloud. So welcome on to the podcast. Julian McKenzie. Julian, welcome to every sports show, buddy. Good to have you on here this week.
1: Hey Matt, uh, thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. It's an honor to be here.
0: No, great. you know what Matt, I gotta honestly Julian, and you Montreal I mentioned you're a broadcaster, you're a podcaster, you write about you write about hockey, other sports. You're the like, you're the black Ryan Seacrest, Matt. what do you sleep out in Montreal, Julian? <laughs> oh my God <laughs> Are you serious? Uh-huh.
1: Wow, I've never been given that title. That's Oh my god!
0: <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy that okay, one? I'm,
1: serious. I'm not the Black Ryan. I'm not. I don't know if I'm nearly as attractive as, as Ryan Seacrest is. Uh, but hey, you know what? Uh, just give me all the gigs, man.
0: Give me as much work as you can give me, man. I'll, I'll do my best. Black
1: Ryan Seacrest. That is a new one. I'm running that down.
0: Uh, as you should, as you should, man. I know, Julian, know you worked in Montreal media for a little, a little bit of time. Though, so I want to ask you, though, for people who don't know what you're about, what's like, your origin story in terms of how you got involved in not just, not just sports media, but in media in general?
1: Jeez, uh, how much time do you have? This could take a while. Go <laughs> uh, ahead. <laughs> in terms of getting into the field, yeah, no, this is yeah. this is a really long story. But I, ever since I was a kid, I've always really wanted to be in this field, specifically in, in sports media. Uh and when I was, you know, just in my teens, I guess uh, I started just looking around, seeing if I could uh, get my feet in the door anywhere. Uh, I interned for a community newspaper here in Montreal called the uh, Montreal Community Contact, which serves the uh, the Black community here in our city. And that was really the first experience I ever got really working in a in an actual newsroom. It's a very small spot. Uh, the news the actual newsroom is like one floor up on this like pizza place uh but it was it was it was an awesome experience and at, and from that you know i learned i learned so much from the editors there and uh, it was a really cool place to learn and in terms of getting into sports uh this friend of mine who every now and then works at uh, the local tsn station here tsn 690 and uh used to work at ctv montreal uh, his name is sean coleman uh, I asked him about getting an internship with, uh, the station there. And I, and I stuck around there after they let me in and, uh, they let me intern there for a little while. I don't do anything with them anymore, but it was just through, through stuff like that, where I really, you know, just start to find my bearings here and and just try to find a way here. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's a field I've always wanted, really wanted to be in. And I've had some good fortune come my way, you know, uh, doing stuff at the, uh, Concordia university as a, uh, sports editor for the link newspaper over there, one of the student newspapers there uh, winning a contest with sports in 2015. Uh, that was really awesome as well. That put my name out for uh, a lot of people to see my work across the country. That was really awesome for me and uh, going to spend a year at the Syracuse university doing a master's degree and getting a sense of how those people uh, operate and, and, and seeing the level of competition with broadcasters and, and, and writers and that in itself was was a big eye-opening experience for me because uh, if we we think we're doing work over here in Canada. uh, The level, as in the States, is is second to none. It's it's amazing, and I I took lessons from there that I hope to apply to my future work, uh, my present and my future work here. And uh, when I got out of school, uh, I spent a couple months at CBC as a researcher, and then the weather thing happened with uh, CTV Montreal, uh, which was a really cool which is a really cool experience uh, I, I i honestly i I still can't believe they 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 wanted to give me a shot in that position and lo and behold, it ended up happening and I have got that going and now they're just starting to give me freelance reporting shifts and real world uh, even though I don't have like a column there, basically, I'm the guy who just writes uh, you know just blurbs about players after each of their performances. so you know when you go on Yahoo fantasy sports and you want to figure out how well Alexander Vetskin was doing. Uh, sometimes I'm the guy who writes, uh, you know, hey, he scored three goals that night. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of just little stuff that, uh, you know, I'm doing now. And I realize if I really want to make a way in this industry, I, I got to start doing these little things. I got to start the grind, right? So. I-, I told you this would be long. It ends up being long and, and rambling, you know. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at right now.
0: No worries, but hey, dude, hey, that sports media as a whole. I mean, you got to go from you know writing anywhere to podcasting to going to school. I mean, you mentioned going to Syracuse University. I considered be- I went to school in Edmonton for broadcasting, but I considered going to Arizona State University for their journalism program. And you really do see that in America. We have great programs here in Canada, be it at E, be it in Miguel Concordia, um, Nate, Seth, but Ryerson, but in America, it truly is a different animal. We can go to, like, Syracuse where you went, Arizona State. It, it's a, it's incredible how big that truly is in America, Julian. It's nuts.
1: Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, it comes down, I think, to just the resources and alumni and obviously the case-by-case situation, but, I mean, Syracuse University, uh, a bit of bias here, but I consider it to be the, uh, the best broadcasting school <laughs> around uh, North America. I'll, uh, North America, I'll even say, not even just for the United States. Uh, just look at the alumni that have, have come up there, uh, have gone to work for ESPN, Fox mm-hmm. Sports, and even in Canada as well. David Amber, who hosts Hockey Night in Canada, is a Syracuse alum as well. So uh, there's a ton of great people who have come up from that, uh, that pipeline from Syracuse, the Orange, and uh, they've gone on to do really great things. And a lot of them come back and they end up teaching and passing along uh, words of wisdom to future students who may one day take their place or eventually create their own habits. Uh, and not to mention that the sports that they get to cover, and that's a whole—I I understand it's a whole issue in itself with talking about e-sports and stuff. But mm-hmm. talking about the NCAA product uh, as problematic as it may be in certain respects, uh, the the spirit around it uh, around the schools is is second to none as well. And, and the way they cover things there is just. Crazy. Like at, at the, uh, the newspaper at Syracuse University, which is called the Daily Orange, if you want to get into that paper, it's kind of like a hierarchy. You, you don't go in there and say, hey, you know what, I think I'm a pretty good writer. Uh, mm-hmm. Just give me a gig writing uh, for the football team. No, you, you got to start out small. you got you got to start off by covering, uh, you know, maybe soccer or maybe even like field hockey. And then you work your way up uh, to covering football and basketball, which are the two biggest sports at Syracuse University. It's, it's reflective of, of real life pretty much uh, but the competition level there as I was mentioning before uh, in terms of getting spots there and, and getting broadcasting gigs and, and putting your name out there it's it, it's unlike anything I had ever experienced uh, and and the year there I it was an eye-opening experience for me I, I thought I got to hold my own a little bit with some of the kids there but I was I was surrounded by a ton of talent and it was it was phenomenal not to mention that I did get some opportunities to uh, you know uh, do some internships here and there. I interned for uh, a local hockey team in the area of the Syracuse Crunch, and that was also really outstanding as well. And, and, and one thing I will say uh, that they put an emphasis on at Syracuse is making connections. And through that internship at the Syracuse Crunch, through the uh, classmates I had there, through the podcasts I was able to do while I was there, uh, it was really essential for me to just connect with people, not just uh, obviously from like a quote-unquote business standpoint or you know just trying to get ahead but you know it's cool just to make friends with people just be good with them and 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 through this experience at university they're, they're my friends for life honestly so it, it was a really it's, it's it's unlike anything i had ever experienced uh in comparison to the canadian level here i i miss it i miss being around my friends up at syracuse it was it was really awesome honestly i mean I, I bet nate was a really great school but i think you really also could have benefited from it spending how much time, uh, whether it's been a year or four years, at Arizona State University. Because U.S. experience, everyone should go through it at least for, for a year or so.
0: Going to Syracuse, like, what was it like for you personally being not just a, a black man going into a journalism program, which is not that big, but being a black Canadian? You know
1: what? I'll, I'll, I'll kind of answer this in two parts. So from a Canadian standpoint, uh, it, it, I remember one of the first things I ever had to do there, I had to take part in this international Student Seminar, and basically for the whole hour, these teachers were trying to explain American culture to a whole <laughs> room of students yeah they students from like Korea parts of different parts of Asia Japan uh, students from India as well, uh, just students from all over the world and i'm looking around I think i'm like the, at that point I thought I was like the only Canadian in that room and they're explaining uh, you know how they, they how they, they use um uh God, how they use uh man, Fahrenheit. How they use Fahrenheit to Celsius and all this other stuff that we know about America. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I already know this. Why am I here? It's not <laughs> that different. Uh, but there was there was some there were some instances where I had some Americans kind of come up on come, come up to me and they'd be like, Yeah, so uh Justin Trudeau, man, he's he's really dreamy, man. We love your president, he's so cool. I'm like that's an, he's not a president. Man. That's not how it works. <laughs> and one of my friends actually asked me if we celebrate, if we Canadians celebrate Christmas at the same time as Americans do. I'm like,
0: yo, you guys have no clue
1: how Canadians operate. So there was a bit. <laughs> 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 wow. I, I didn't think there'd be like so, a couple people asking me, like, yo, man, like, is this how your country does it? Uh, but that I thought was really. Uh, after a while, I think got used to it. It was really fun in terms of being black. Uh, that you know what. That was actually cool to be in a school where I didn't have to look around and be like, "Man, I'm, I think I'm like the only like black person in, in this class." There were there were instances where I'd be in classes and I'd be like, "Okay, like black people are like half the class here. There there are black people. We were represented, and and yeah. and I got to get to know a bunch, a great community of those people, and first persons in color in general. And we banded together and we were able to collaborate on some great projects and just hang out all the time. You know, we were Obviously, we were very inclusive, and, and we were able to, you know, vibe with anybody, but as opposed to, to being in Canada, which, I mean, you know, that, that's a problem in itself about mm. sports media, news media in general just being a bit too, you know, white. Uh, and, and that's not to say the Americans don't have the same problem either, but at least in our schools, uh, we were represented. And to be a part of a school where, you know, I could – I I felt like, you know, hey, there are enough of us out here who are doing great things. Uh, I felt a bit of, a bit of pride, even though I am a black Canadian and I wasn't necessarily a black American. Uh, I felt like a source of pride and and they were very, uh, I felt very included in what was going on there. I didn't feel like a token, which was, which is pretty important. Uh, so yeah, I I think in terms of being a black Canadian, uh, while the whole Canadian thing, I might have thrown some people off, I think being black. and and going to a school where we're represented at Syracuse University, that felt really cool. And that was unlike any experience I'd ever really gone through uh, throughout my entire educational lifetime, I guess.
0: You know, Julian, you mentioned the amount of black kids in Syracuse, and here in Canada, I don't think kids are being pushed to get into journalism. If
1: you have color. Yeah, uh, we're not really represented out here. Uh, my last episode of the Scrum podcast, uh, Tristan, DeMora, and I, we spoke to Morgan Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, whom I believe is the only person of color, or if, if not the only one, he's one of the very few. I believe he might actually be the only person of color, uh, at the sports department at the Toronto Star. And uh we were just talking about how the industry is just really white here in Canada. Yeah. And, you know, we just kind of asked him for a, a rough estimate of, uh, you know, how many sports editors here uh, and just people working in the industry here in general are white as opposed to persons of color. And we represent a fairly small number here. And it's it is kind of sad to see. And uh, it's important that... Uh, our voices, myself and and yours included, we uh, we stand out and, and we make ourselves heard. So that way, people, uh, younger people who are like us, who may be thinking about going to the field, they realize that hey, you know what? Avery has a sports show. He's trying to do his thing. Julian is is broadcasting, doing this. You know, they have people they can look up to. David Amber doing his thing on Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's important that people like us uh, see people like us in the media. So that way it can draw inspiration from that and potentially seek, uh, a career in this field because it's a really great field. And it's important that we, we have, uh, you know, persons of color, uh, telling these stories and we don't just have one type of person just saying it. So I think it's really sad that it is this way, but I hope that future generations will, I guess, once this industry sorts itself out, because I understand how there's a lot of changes that are happening, but I hope that a lot of us, uh, start to come up and, and we start to, start to take some of these seats and, uh, we need these seats at the table, Avery, and, and yes. you know, it starts with people like us and, and people above us as well.
0: No, it truly is, because I know i growing up for so many years. I mean, the only two faces we really saw on TCN Center were, of course, David Amber. And if you remember this name, Jason Portwondo on SportsNet, who was the only brother doing sports and Connected highlights for a good five, six years. He was the only guy there.
1: That, that name brings me back, man. I remember <laughs> growing up, uh, more often than not, I'd be I'd like my grandparents up, because when I was really younger... Uh, my parents didn't have cable, and my grandparents did. So I would use that opportunity every time I'd be there, like, you know, every other weekend to sit up every morning and watch either TSN or Sportsnet. If TSN was on commercial, I'm flipping to Sportsnet. If Sportsnet's on commercial, I'm flipping back to TSN. And on Sportsnet, they would have, like, Hazel May mm-hmm. and uh, Jason Portwanda. So those two, I remember growing up watching Sportsnet and seeing those two faces uh, on the television. But, yeah, like it, it's really crazy to think that Jason Portwando in terms of sports media uh, in this country, is probably the most prominent person of color I can think of. Uh, I guess not even just personal color, a prominent black male sports anchor that I can think of just growing up. And then when I was at TSN 690, uh, the only other person of color I can really remember working with there, there are two. Uh, one is still there, Mo Khan. And there was mm-hmm. another guy who now works at Sportsnet Connected. His name is Eric Thomas. He came yes. up from the States, and then he eventually got himself a, a job as a broadcaster at TSM 690. And he eventually started to work sports at PTV Montreal. And then months after that, he ends up getting a job with Sportsnet Connected. Yeah, so it, it, it's kind of weird that uh, you could pretty much count on maybe one hand, maybe two, uh, the number of, of persons of color uh just working in this field especially in broadcasting, you know, yeah. where we actually want to see these people on screen. And also not that's not even counting former athletes like a Perdita Felicien right? or uh Dom and Bailey who gets called on to uh do stuff for either the winter or the summer Olympics.
0: If he hears this podcast, he's going to kill me for not mentioning him. But Cabral Richards on the, sc- on the score, now TSN was there there too. And Cabbie, he changed the game entirely. Athletes were not approached the way they were before Cabbie came in and totally changed the game for everybody on the score. Yo, don't get me started about Cabbie, man. Cabbie, uh, uh, you've met Cabbie before? Many times, yes. Cabbie's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, Cabbie's a good dude, man. I got to tell you, I remember.
1: <laughs> Two three years ago, I got invited to attend this student journalism conference called Mash. Uh, Every year, uh, they they hold these student journalism conferences for all these different student newspapers across the country. And the first year I got to go was in Ottawa, and that year there were a ton of guests, like Lethal Laflamme from CTV National News, Peter Mansbridge was there, Cabbie Richards was also a special guest at this event. And, and throughout the, and up until that point, all these different news uh, workshops were going on, and all the news people are really happy, and everyone gets to be there. And all the sports people I'm starting to identify who's a sports better at this paper, who's a sports person at that uh, paper. And I'm like, all right, cool, this is pretty cool, we're starting to spot each other. And for Tabby, every sports person there is in this room. It is packed, and we're just listening to him tell stories, about being in the field and all these different interviews that he has, and as he walks out the room uh, after his talk is over, he wants to, you know, so a couple people want to just talk to him and you know, just you know, pick his brain and stuff like that. And he said, you know what, let's, let's meet in the lobby of this hotel that we're at. We're in a hotel. He's like, hey, let's all just meet in the lobby and, you know, we'll get to talk to everybody there. He starts walking. There's a whole flock of sports journalism kids who are just following this guy, myself <laughs> included. I like pull up to the front. I'm like this happy little kid. I've got my phone on like Snapchat, like, yo, Cabby Richards is on my Snapchat. Oh my God. And he starts talking to us for like a whole hour, just answering all of our questions. And like, I got to hug Cabby Richards. That day. And <laughs> I, like it wasn't just like, all right, you know what, man? This was really cool to talk to you, your two second hug. We start hugging and we start counting. One <laughs> oh, Mississippi, man. two Mississippi, three Mississippi. I'm like, damn, like this this guy cares. This guy's cool. Nice. This guy's really cool and uh at the time at had a sports radio show at uh, concordia university i was the co-host and producer of the show called the starting rotation mm-hmm. and i asked him to be on the show and he's like yeah no problem So he ended up being on the show and from that day every now and then uh you know I, I i keep up with him and you know i'll email him and just be like hey you know this is what i'm up to now funny enough funny enough uh, we met that we met uh, I think like 2014 or 2015. He told me. I remember I emailed him something a couple weeks after that meeting, and he said, "Hey man, if you're not on TV in like two three years, man, I don't know what's going on." He said, "You know what? You're gonna be on TV in two three years." Lo and behold, I end up getting CTV within that time span. So I'm 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 happy that that happened. I think Cabby kind of willed that into 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 a uh, existence. So Cabbie's uh, one of the good dudes out there. Uh, not for not just you and I to you know, but for you know any young journalist or any young aspiring sports personality in this country to get to. No, uh, he's no, just no. a really tremendous guy. He's a really nice guy, and he's someone people can look up to.
0: Yeah, and he mentioned the fact you know you email Kevin. Like Cabby's kind of guy where I've emailed Cabby before, and he replies to you that day with whatever answer you you may have for you. Like that's the kind of people that you need to have in your corner in sports media. Especially if you're a person of color, and I do want to go, Julie, because you know you're you're someone you work. We both work in sports markets that are well interesting. I work out in Edmonton. You work out in Montreal. So I do want to ask you: this past this past year and a half, what's it been like covering the Habs from the PK Subban trade to this season just being an absolute tire fire? Because I mean, Montreal it, it it's crazy right now out in Quebec. <laughs> Yeah, it's been really, really interesting. I have to say, with
1: the P.K. Subban trade, that trade went down the day before I moved to the States. So I was, like, packing my clothes uh, in my room, and then on Sportsnet, or at least TSN Sportsnet, they first announced, like, the Taylor Hall trade. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, wow, they made this big move. And then, like, minutes later, uh, Suban gets traded, and then, like, not long after that, Sam signs. signed. So, yeah, that was, like, a wild, like, 20 minutes or so. And I remember just feeling, just sitting down, just packing my clothes after the Suban trade gets announced. I felt this kind of like sinking feeling, but at the same time, I was like, "I'm not going to be like home for this, for all of the the impact stuff, the, all like the craziness that's going to happen, all the the radio stuff, like like that's that that's stuff that people call phone lines." incessantly and just say like, "What are they doing?" Or this is a good move, or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not going to be around any of that. I have to worry about like adjusting to a new life in America. So pretty much, like the first year of that whole Subban thing, I had to follow that from home, and and just well, home in America, right? And and just follow uh, through Twitter, pretty much. And and obviously, you know, I still found time to say speak my piece about it and, and all that. And I mean, look. It's one thing, if, and it was something that had been discussed before the trade actually went down. It was clear that, you know, management with the Montreal Canadiens and P.K. Subban, uh, I felt they just were not seeing each other eye-to-eye. Eye. So the possibility of him being traded, even if Mark Bergerman had said before that happened that he was not going to go out of his way to trade him, it was always something that was going to creep in the back of our minds, uh, fans' minds, media's minds, all that. And I think if Mark Bergerman had traded P.K. Subban for a number one center or a forward, so a, a position of need, then Mark Bergevin isn't on the hot seat that he's in now. And maybe the Montreal Canadiens are not in the situation they're in right now. It, it, I don't think that fans are necessarily going to blame uh, Bergevin if he makes that move. I think people might still be mad about the fact that he trades a fan favorite in a guy like PK Subban. But if PK for Taylor Hall happens, it's a much different story than PK Subban for. For Shea Weber, an old, a still great defenseman, but much older, uh, a much larger contract to, to deal with. It's not necessarily a great situation, but now that I've been back uh, for as long as I have now and, and following the situation there, uh, people still miss him. Uh, the pro Mark van crowd that was around last season uh, is much quieter now because the, the, the way the team has been constructed, not yeah, nearly as good as it was last year. Uh Bergevin said that the uh, the defense core was supposed to be better than last year, but he lost Andre Markov. Uh, he couldn't even replace Alex Radulov. He tried to replace him with the uh, former Edmonton oiler, Alex Hemsky. That has not been working out. And and now we face a uh, a road trip where it's totally possible that uh, it could be the beginning of the end for guys like Thomas McCannix and, and Max Pat Reddy. Or, unsurprisingly to me anyway, because I try not to – heighten any expectations for this sort of thing, they may end up there, and they may end up still there, and, and maybe Placanix just leaves for you know for free, and 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 maybe they push uh, the Max Pacioretty thing the next year, because he's still on a contract for next year. There's a lot to process with Montreal. There's a lot to process with the Montreal Canadiens, and it's, it's been kind of crazy uh, with this team, and, 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 and as the days inch closer to the trade deadline, it is going to be in insane. It is going to be uh, pretty on edge. Uh, you know, in, in years past, I, I, I remember just kind of looking forward to trade deadline day because that's usually when something big happens, uh, whether the Montreal Canadiens make a trade or whether they, as they more or less often do, uh, don't make any significant move. But I think this year, if they don't do some kind of move, that's going to be extremely problematic uh, for a lot of fans here. I think they either have to decide uh, that uh, they're a team that wants to keep this core going forward, and they want to make it better somehow, or they said, you know what, we're going to tear this down, and we're going to start from scratch, and we're going to start offloading some assets. I think this is a year where doing nothing. Uh, I'm not sure how that plays out in this city.
0: No, nor do I. And, you know, it's interesting because Mark Bergman. It's interesting. Mark Bergman and Peter Shirelli, They are two general managers where they've done so much. And yet somehow, some way, their jobs are still intact. I do not get that from both teams in my mind. It doesn't make any sense on Bergevin and Chirelli. Both had great jobs going into it, but now both franchises have been just decimated by beat acquisitions, trades, and just poor play. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Chirelli is is blessed with the fact that he has the best player on this earth right
1: now in Connor (laughs) McDavid. And he still can't put together a winner. I know last year was as great as it was, and, and a lot of people, myself included, thought that the uh, the Oilers could build off that and potentially be a Stanley Cup contender. And all by account, and by all accounts, they should be. Mm. Uh, but he just hasn't been able to build a great team over there. That being said, Chiarelli also has that uh, track record from Boston, playing, running behind him as well. Uh, you know, trading guys like Alexander and all that. That was just that's just going to fall in forever. Uh In terms of, of Mark Bergevin, the thing with him is that is he's very. Good at making those small deals and finding those bargain bin guys, uh, that you can plug and play. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when it comes time to pulling the trigger on a bigger move and getting that piece, like a number one center that the franchise has been asking for for over 20 years, uh, he has not been able to do that. And not to mention this team, uh, as evidence and in the two, after the, the 2015-2016 season, this team still can't play when Carey Price is not at his best. And that's a significant problem, especially in this day and age uh, where, where teams like Pittsburgh and, and Nashville show that, you know what, even if your goaltender is not necessarily great, as long as the team in front of you is, then you're fine. Uh, and, and and that's been the issue with Bergevin, who hasn't been able to put together a great team in front. And and the fact that he and, and I guess, members of the coaching staff They've shown this kind of stubbornness with putting Alex Galchenyuk back at center. Uh, the whole Subban thing has left a bad taste in people's mouths. As we've been, as I talked about before, uh, the recent offseason, giving Carl Alsner a ton of money, signing Mark Streit for the amount of money they gave him before cutting him loose, and not re- not adequately a of replacing Andrei Markov and Alex Radulov. Uh, there's a lot not to like with Mark Bergevin here. Uh, he's had himself a bad off season, and now he finds himself closer to. A draft lottery pick than being a playoff team, and and there are people here who understandably don't have that confidence in Mark Bergevin anymore. No. So, yeah, with Montreal, I, I I know I can speak at length on that uh, from from a distance with Edmonton, uh, with Shirelli, the fact that he just hasn't been able to give Connor McDavid uh, an adequate enough team to, to to make it to be a playoff team this year. That's that's stunning considering what they were last year. Uh, I'm still not crazy about Jordan Everly being traded away. Uh, and I'm sure you've got more thoughts on that, oh. but it's 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 it's, it's sad. And Connor McDavid, who deserves all the money he gets because he's the best player in the world, is gonna be, could be playing is playing right now on a subpar team. That that there's no excuses for that. And and I know Cam Talbot's out here saying, "Hey, you know what? The Oilers can make the playoffs." I don't like their chances, but hey, you know what? <laughs> I've been wrong before.
0: You know what? That was just when Pearce really came in. All they really need to do with the rules was you know. Leave. Keep Hall here. Keep Everlay here. Add a few more parts in the back end, and you have a very scary team in Western Conference. The desire to trade away Eberle made no sense because Ryan Strom is a, is a is not a Ryan Strom was barely a forty point player. Jordan Eberle had fifty five points last season. You're gonna lose that trade no matter what the Larson for Hall trade, you know, some people could argue there was an okay trade, but to me, you need scoring on the wing, you need scoring in center. Why would you trade away your offense when you have no more else to replace it with? That old franchise Julian for going on 10 years has felt that oh, we can put all hopes and dreams on the backs of a teenager or a 20-year-old and survive. It doesn't work like that. Imagine if the Penguins didn't give the imagine the Penguins didn't give Crosby any help when he was drafted. Pittsburgh would still be an awful franchise to this day if they didn't give, give Crosby any supporting cast.
1: For sure, I mean, but then again, I mean, uh, they they had the benefit of, of drafting really well uh, in the years prior. Obviously, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, their goaltender for you know for their first Stanley Cup or all those Stanley Cups that used there for use their, 40s, their backstop is there. Uh, well, yeah, Matt Murray won one, but he was around that franchise. Uh, Evgeny Malkin going number two overall uh, before Alexander Ovechkin and pieces before they said, "You know what, man? Let's let's pick this number one pick and draft Sidney Crosby." They drafted well. Uh, if you talk to Brian Burke about that, you know that's the pick, uh, the Pittsburgh model. They won a goddamn lottery. Yeah. They were really lucky. <laughs> and Edmonton keeps winning these lotteries, and they're not necessarily as fortunate. They keep uh, wondering. Uh, who's doing his thing in Colorado. Yeah, no, it's just Edmonton's just. Unlucky as a franchise, it seems.
0: That sucks. And it's tough because you see Edmonton struggling so much, or teams, you know, rebuilding for years and years. And the one story which I makes me laugh to this day is the Vegas Golden Knights being the best team in hockey year one. It makes me laugh so hard. That you know what? I don't laugh at that. I
1: You know what? I'm happy. Because whenever we see expansion teams come through, we expect them to suck. And expectations there for, for Vegas were that, you know what, this team is going to try to come out the gates and, and just try to be competitive. and They're not going to make the playoffs. not going to do anything. George McPhee is their general manager. Mm-hmm. Who's George McPhee, right? He, he made that terrible trade in, in Washington for Martin Erat for Philip Forsberg. What does he know? A lot of people were dumping on George McPhee. And now it's the hottest ticket in town in Vegas. Yeah, That is like one of the coolest stories ever. I hope that they when they make the playoffs, it's not even a, I don't think it's a question of if anymore. It's a question of when they make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I hope that they have themselves a pretty decent run, man. Uh, and, and that's the type of dream scenario where even if they don't win, I think enough fans can get behind them and say, you know what, this is a good hockey team. This is a fun, exciting club. Uh, and they look fun, too. Uh, there was a lot of, there's a lot of cast-offs on that team that are really skilled and really talented. I understand that the, the Golden Knights, they got the luckiest process ever. Uh, Nashville and Minnesota and Tampa and Ottawa, all these different teams that were expansion clubs in the past did not get nearly the same advantages that Vegas did. But the fact that Vegas was able to put this team together with the intention of just you know, hey, just trying to survive that first year, not necessarily with any Stanley Cup aspirations or even playoff aspirations, just go out there and play, uh, is nothing short of astonishing. No. Uh, so you may think it's hilarious, but I think this is like the coolest story going in the National Hockey League. The Vegas Golden Knights, man. I hope they succeed, not just this year, but for years to come. Man, That seems like a really cool place as well. Oh, yeah. uh, I one, one note I will add, uh, the uh, my boss uh, from the Syracuse Crunch, Last year was the play by play guy, and now they're a radio play by play guy. So, uh, I got to catch up with him a couple months ago, and, and he's just been really enjoying the experience. So, this is a really awesome time to, to be in Las Vegas right now, especially with the Golden Knights playing as well as they are.
0: Oh, that's cool. You know what? I love the story, too. I, you know, I was in Vegas last, uh, I was in Vegas on vacation back in um, June, and I went, I covered I, I a press conference for the Golden Knights, interviewed Bill Foley. And when you go to Vegas, Julian, like, there, there are billboards everywhere. The Golden Knights, they've gone into schools in Vegas and giving kids free jerseys. They bring the players to elementary schools to meet the kids. They have hockey clinics. Like, Vegas right now is doing it right. They're getting these kids hooked from ages 7 to 12 to being the Golden Knight fans and coming to the games and being loud. Like, they're they going to have a fan base for the next 25 years. People who say they're going to fail. No, they're building a fan base for the next generation right now. That is so smart in Vegas.
1: Man, I got to give it to them, man. That is really smart. Uh, yeah, you want your, your young fan base to identify, uh, your hockey club and, and be able to get behind them. And it's really easy when your hockey club is, is, is winning. And, and I know sometimes people get annoyed with their social media presence as well, but they've been doing a pretty good job getting attention from that as well. I don't know, this, this, whatever's going on in Vegas, man, I want, I want in on that. that. That's a really good recipe for success, man. And that whole organization, top to bottom, deserves credit for for how their year has been going. Uh, George McFee deserves, accept, uh, deserves credit. Uh, Gerard Gallant, who mm-hmm. you know around this time last year, was fired from his team and waiting for a cab back to the airport before <laughs> the photogs start taking photos of him, is now the runaway frontrunner for the Jack Adams Trophy.
0: Also a full Montreal Canadiens assistant. Got put got it in there, didn't you? Got to mention that Montreal reference, eh? <laughs> yeah!
1: Oh, and, and I liked him too. I, I liked him. I thought he was a really good coach. And I was really, and a, and a ton of people were so surprised, uh, when the, uh, the Florida Panthers let him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still don't understand why. Uh, he's a really good coach and he was able to get a lot out of his players. And evidently what the, he's been teaching the guys in Vegas is, is definitely working. So it, it, he's my, he's my pick and he's pretty much everyone else's pick for the Jack Adams trophy. I think we could, we could, we could, we could, we could safely say that's a wrap for this summer's uh, NHL award.
0: Oh, 100%. I do want to ask you, though, Julian. Going from you mentioned social media with Vegas, I want to mention social media and hockey. And, well, social media and hockey's been interesting because we saw, uh, and there's a Montreal tying as well, too. When PK came back to Montreal, Brendan Gallagher, guy, I'm an Edmonton guy, went at PK, and he was irritated by people asking about PK on his return. And, ironically enough, Gallagher was the guy who was making himself the show against PK. And we saw Gallagher's quotes on Twitter, and former L.A. King, Emton Oiler, Colton Tubert mentioned, he, he said to Gallagher on Twitter, Don't let Monday get you down. Now, for those of you people who don't know, people might think Monday, you know, oh, he hates Mondays, no one likes Mondays. But of course, Monday has connotations going back to referring to the Boston PD calling black people Mondays as code. Now, I was angry about that, you are angry about that, and hockey culture. Come on, guys be better than that. Why do you see that at all about P.K. Subban, who's proven time and time again, he's only more than a class act and big personality. It's so dumb. Yeah,
1: it's it's disappointing to see that go out. Uh, I was really upset at first when I saw that, and I tweeted that out, and then after a while, I just kind of calmed down and I thought, you know, I don't know if I should be surprised about this, just because there's just been so many instances of this. Uh, Not necessarily like that, but uh, with with blackface, with with fans, uh, mm. with PK Suba that's happened throwing bananas at, at Wayne Civit. Yeah, uh, you can go all the way back to the days when like her guys like Herb Carnegie were trying to get into this league, and even Willie O'Ree. I'm sure could tell you some stories as well. Mm. Uh, this is uh, the, the treatment of, of, of black athletes in this league, uh, just how they treat black people in general with the NHL, the culture. Uh, there's been some lingering racism there, and. This latest incident, well, you know, this is all the way from like 2009, apparently. This doesn't really sit well with me, to be quite honest. I don't know how PK felt about it. I don't know if he ever caught wise to what was happening. Uh, I don't know if, if Colton Tubert is, is being genuine when he says that he genuinely did not know that Monday was a slur. And I know that a lot of people, what's also crazy is seeing everyone kind of lose their minds over Oh man, I never heard it was a slur. I didn't know any of that. And I mean I mean I, a lot of people are tracing it back to the uh the stand up that uh, Russell Peters Russell Peters did a couple years ago mm. where he discussed his experience where someone from Boston used Mudday as a racial slur and then I I had tweeted out an article about uh, Carl Crawford, uh the former Red Sox outfielder getting called that. So even though it's not a slur that's been around as long as the N-word or so many other slurs necessarily uh, it, it may be recent or you know what, it, who am I to discuss the etymology of it but it, 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 it definitely—it was definitely used it seems as if it could have been used as a demeaning and you know racial epithet, potentially yeah. uh, it certainly just was not a right call for Colton and you know be realized the error of his ways here and and and, and just hockey culture in general is just you know it's it, 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 i felt it's never really been that uh inclusive sometimes uh and uh, yeah it's just kind of a disappointing situation for everyone involved really
0: yeah it really is you mentioned with Colton tuber like you know what Colton tuber could have done to really diffuse the situation was you know say hey if you, if, you, if you truly didn't know it was, a, it was a slur, just say, hey, I didn't know it was a slur. I apologize. I won't use it again. He It took about six or seven more tweets him trying to defend the use of it before saying he was sorry because Chris Stewart jumped in. At, at, uh, Chris Stewart jumped in to say, really? It took you this long to apologize? Like, if you just said sorry, this goes away. He's an idiot. Yeah, no. Plain simply, yes. He yes. He's an idiot. He is. He's an idiot. i <laughs> will <laughs> just leave it at that. Yeah, he's an idiot. Like, it's just, I don't, it's just unfortunate because I, people say, oh, P.K., he's too arrogant, he's too cocky, he's selfish. What selfish person donates $10 million to a children's hospital? That's selfish? Well, somebody used to tell me that, cause dang, I didn't know that. Wow, it's used to me.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I think people say what they want to say about the guy. Uh, look, I do I never hung around P.K., so I don't know how he really is in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that the gesture that he's done, pledging $10 million, uh, he's committed to that over the next how many years for the Montreal Children's Hospital. is still a really great gesture yes. on his part. And really cool that he was able to get his uh, Nashville Predators teammates uh, to visit the hospital as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty cool gesture. And, and, and I'm not sure why uh, people are, are connecting that to him being... Selfish, necessarily, I, but I also think that even if he does have a bit of selfishness too, and uh, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of of the uh, the school of, of NBA and NFL athletes who are about their who realize they have a brand and they're all about maximizing that brand mm-hmm. and ensuring that they you know get as much capital as they can because with the way that the owners are about their business as well, the athletes who are actually doing the entertaining for people who watch these sports. Uh, they gotta be about their dollars and cents as well. So, I don't see any reason why, uh, PK Subban trying to show off his business acumen, uh, well, well, at least his team is anyway, in, in promoting his brand and, and showing that, okay, he's a hockey player. He can, you know, be a philanthropist and, and, and go out and do these other special things as well, showing off his personality. I'm not sure why that's supposed to be seen as a bad thing and that he's a me, me, me person. Uh, but you know what? That's, that's also hockey culture. We're not used to that. If PK Super was an NBA player doing that, we'd be like, okay, he's one of many athletes doing this. If he was in the NFL, we're like, okay, this is not unfamiliar to me. But because this is the NHL where everyone is very team oriented, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, no. but to the point that personalities kind of get uh, shuffled to the side and, 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 you know, it's boring. It, it, they're quite boring. And, and, I, and I made the remark about how, you know, yes, uh, we talk a lot about PK, but PK also happens to be very interesting himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that we as media actually feed into more because there's actually something worthwhile that may come out out, out of it. Exactly. Uh, guy, and while, yes, there, there may be some excessive coverage. Like I know during the, uh, the Predators Canadian game, I don't know if you saw this, Avery, but during the US National Anthem, the game was at the Bell Center. During the US National Anthem, they had a camera guy completely fixated on PK Subban uh, <laughs> on the red line, just, you know, you know, doing his shuffling back and forth. Uh, you know, as he probably does as he's about to wait for the uh, the anthem to start playing. Uh not red well, not red line, the blue line. Uh but like, you know, they had it on him the entire time. I'm like, Wow, that's that's a lot for PK Suban. But again, like when he's the most interesting player in the league uh, and arguably the most polarizing player in the league, just because of how different he is, uh, you know, people feed into that. and It's a shame that we don't have more P.K. Subans in this league. Uh, I think the league might be a bit more interesting uh, and, and, a bit ba- and better off for it, you know, but, uh, you know, People are haters sometimes. I guess.
0: No, that's true. They can be. They can be. I do ask you about. You know, talking to you about your podcast, the Scrum you interested Tristan do, and your podcast is. I mentioned your podcast is Scrum. It goes into race, but also talks about youth in journalism. Like we had, you had Scott Wheeler on. Scott Wheeler got started in media at fifteen. You talk about youth sports, and you guys tackle stories in sports that no one's really talking about. Like no one's really getting into in depth. Younger journalists knows we're really getting in depth on the rebrand of youth sports and it's refreshing because you're, you're feeling a void that was much needed in sports media in this country guys
1: Appreciate that, yeah uh, We just, Tristan and I, we, we, we discussed about doing this type of podcast uh, a couple months ago And, uh, you know, we figured it would just be a different way of just kind of putting ourselves into the podcast game because there's so many people who you know, they can get a mic right together and they could just actually talk about the sports that they like covering. Like We could have easily done a soccer podcast mm-hmm. or a hockey podcast or just a Montreal sports podcast. But just kind of peeling back and, and taking a look at how the sausage is made and taking a look at stuff about sports media in this country. And not even necessarily just eSports. I know we spent uh, quite a bit of time on, on eSports talking to Graham Brown and And, and uh But uh, I think we were able to discuss a couple other topics you know, such as race in, in, sports media, uh, where certain trends may be going, uh, a particular company buying a particular site, for example, there are uh, women's representation in, mm-hmm. in, 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 sports media as well. That's a whole other issue in itself. Oh gosh.
0: Yeah. Uh, there are
1: so many things about this industry that I'd like to discuss, uh, and having the scrum podcast, uh, it's a, is a platform where Tristan and I can, can discuss these topics. So I'm, I'm really happy that we, uh, we have this podcast going, and uh, I hope it continues to fill this void.
0: No, of course. And is there one guest you want to get on? You, maybe you're trying to get on, but you know it's tough. For me,
1: no guest is ever impossible to get. And that's one thing I've learned. That's one thing I just, not that you necessarily ask me this question, but there's one thing I want to just say to anybody out there who's thinking about doing, like, shows and stuff like that. Uh, no guest is impossible to get. Even if you want to say, you know what, let's go and get Tim and Sid. Let's get them on at the same time. Uh, the worst I could say is no. And even at that, like just asking them, you, you might be surprised at how they might react. That's uh, cool. so, you know, honestly, I don't have a person who's like, oh man, I really hope we get this guy. Uh, I'm more just about, Hey, you know what? I have an idea. Uh, I, I, I guess maybe this per- person will be perfect for it. But so if we don't have that person, we can always get these other people to discuss this idea. Uh, I don't know. That's pretty much how I feel about that. I try not to be like, all right, you know, we have like a guest, a dream guest list of people. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to operate in dreams. I want to, I want to get work done and actually make this happen. I'm not trying to take two windows for an answer. Uh, so yeah, man, that's, that's pretty much how I'm going to answer that question.
0: Hey, fair enough. A strong answer. Get it done. I like that, Julian. And before I let you go, Julian, so I got to let, let you plug all your content. Where can we find you on Twitter, SoundCloud? I'll let you have your moment to plug all your content.
1: All right. Awesome. All right, guys. I'm Julian McKenzie. Uh, this is where you can find me on Twitter. J-K-A McKenzie. That's J-K-A. And McKenzie is spelled M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. You can find me there on Twitter. Uh, I co-host the Scrum Podcast. Uh, we have a Twitter account as well, The Scrum Podcast, uh, which you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook as well. You can find us on SoundCloud, The Scrum Podcast, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts, really. So your SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, anywhere you can get your podcasts, you should be able to find The Scrum Podcast. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, in terms of stuff, I would really want to, that you guys can really find me at really uh and you know if you happen to be listening uh, in Montreal uh catch me on CTV or broadcasting for McGill University uh also shout out to uh the Habs Eyes on the Prize blog with SB Nation they're the best Habs blog in Montreal bar none and uh we'll fight anybody who says otherwise so <laughs> shout out to those guys
0: nice julian's been blasting your every sports show we gotta do it again sometime soon it's so much fun chat to you chat to another young black journalist another west indian with trinidadian and jamaican roots Yes, <laughs>
1: there. there yeah man this was really fun man i really appreciate you having me on the show this was a blast.
0: of course man talk to you julian